This episode of Mission Log is sponsored by Eagle Moss and the official Star Trek Discovery Starships collection. Check out the first 12 all-new starships in the collection and discover how to get yours at eaglemoss.com slash discovery starships. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 264, All Good Things. Welcome into Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray. And I'm John Champion. Each week on Mission Log, we examine a story from the Star Trek universe, taking it apart from messages, morals, and meanings, and seeing whether the whole thing stands the test of time. This week, all good things. The one where Picard and Crusher finally kiss. Yay! And get divorced. Wait, what? And I guess we should also mention that this is the last episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. John's got trivia coming up in just a moment, but first... But first, a word from Eagle Moss and the official Star Trek Discovery Starships collection. As we wrap up Next Gen, there's a whole new Star Trek on the air. You heard of this, Ken, right? Uh, this is the uh, this is the one that takes place in the disco. Mm-hmm. In the disco, well, Eagle Moss wants to give Mission Log listeners a chance to check out the great big Discovery ships in the Eagle Moss collection. Now, you've heard us talk about the Shenzo and the Discovery, but a lot more ships are joining the fleet. Seven Federation ships are on the way, including the USS Kerala, the Jaeger, and the Europa, as well as five Klingon vessels, including the reimagined Klingon Bird of Prey and Kach. Class Destroyer. Ooh, well done. Well done. You've been practicing your Klingon. Yes, nicely I've, done. Well, I've been practicing my... <sighs> what you'll see when you visit EagleMoss.com slash Discovery Starships are renderings that serve as the basis for the diecast models themselves, painstakingly reproduced, as always, under the supervision of Star Trek expert Ben Robinson. Now, we probably don't need to remind you, but we will anyway that these are officially authorized by CBS Studios. They're about 8 to 10 inches from bow to stern. They are hand-painted, and they are so rich in detail. And you know why? Because they're using the actual VFX files from the show to create these models. And, of course, we dare not forget the awesome magazines full of information about the ships in the Star Trek universe as well as in our own universe, and the awesome stands upon which you can set your big ships. Now, there are two ways to make these ships your own. Subscribe or buy a la carte. Subscribers will get their first ship, the USS Shenzhou NCC-1227, for only $9.95 with free shipping. Additional models, including the iconic USS Discovery NCC-1031, will then ship monthly for the special subscriber's price of only $44.95 each, that is 20% off the standard retail price, and that also comes with free shipping. Now, people who want to pick and choose their ships can do that. For that, you go to shop.eaglemoss.com or check your local comic book shop. You'll pay about 10 bucks more there, but saving money isn't the only reason to subscribe. Subscribers get free gifts worth over $100 during their subscription, and of course... You can cancel your subscription at any time. So, to subscribe, eaglemoss.com slash discovery starships. 
To buy individually, shop.eaglemoss.com. And a huge thanks, as always, to Eagle Moss for sponsoring this week's show. John's got trivia coming up in just a moment. It'll be short because this isn't a big episode. Before we get to that, though, I want to let you know how to get in touch with us. Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, we would love to hear your voice. 323-522-5641 is the phone number to call. 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including discovered documents, is at missionlogpodcast.com. And please do remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. I say it's not a big episode, John, but it is, in fact, a big episode. It's, I mean, it's long, first of all. Mm-hmm. But then also it's a it's a it's an important episode of Star Trek. I'm mm-hmm. not saying, you know, it's the best. I'm not saying it's the worst. I'm not saying whether we like it or not. This is an important episode of Star Trek because not only is this a series finale, it's the first series finale that Star Trek writers knew was coming. Yeah, right. Yes, yes, it is. Um, so, yeah, it, it's a big episode um, a- and it is a large episode uh, in the interest of not keeping our listeners for Oh, four or six hours. <laughs> Try to narrow it down a little bit. So, yeah, if you please, my uh, my edited trivia for this week's episode, All Good Things. That was written by the combination of Ronald D. Moore and Brandon Braga. Of course, with a little help from Michael Piller. He helped them kind of shape the second uh, half of the episode. Now, Ronald D. Moore said, really, it is a love letter to TNG, that this is the payoff to all the fans who watched over the years. So it's not really a standalone episode that you could just plop down in front of a Star Trek newcomer. He and Brannon were actually prepping the movie Generations at the same time, which made it sometimes confusing for them. They were doing late stage drafts of Generations as they were finishing the script for this episode. Um, and to show you how closely those two productions were aligned, uh, even Marina Sirta said that she only had two or three days between wrapping Next Gen and then starting work on Generations. So at least for her, this episode really didn't feel like the end, but it certainly was the end in some ways. It was directed by Wienrich Kolbe. Now, uh, he started with Next Gen with Where Silence Has Lease. And most recently, in our rewatch, he directed Thine Own Self. We will catch up with him again in Deep Space Nine and Voyager and his one outing on Enterprise. And he said this was a big episode, Ken, and a large episode. Uh, it took 17 days to shoot this one. Now, you can knock out a feature, a pretty tightly scheduled feature, in about 17 days. Keep in mind that an episode of TV, they try to get done in about six days. So this goes well beyond even what a normal TV production schedule would be for episodic television. The final result was nominated for four Emmy Awards, uh, visual effects, music, editing, and costume design. It didn't win any of those, but it did win a Hugo Award in 1995. Um, The original draft of the script would have brought back another fan favorite character. You want to guess who that might be, Ken? No. Excellent. Thank you for playing. That would have been Locutus. Uh, Really? Yes, there would have been a fourth timeline that would have taken us back to those heady days the Battle of Wolf 359, 
and we would have encountered Locutus one last time. Uh, oh, and, and you'll enjoy this. There was a line that was dropped from the script uh, that would have referred to Dr. Selar in the oh. past timeline. Yeah, yeah. So just uh, <laughs> whenever you need to drop in another doctor's name, we just will always mention Dr. Silar and never see her again. You know that I like my ship names? Well, let's point out just a handful here. We have in a prominent position the USS Pasteur, of course, named for Louis Pasteur, the French biologist known for making great strides in vaccination, but of course known for his contributions to food safety, which reminds me of actually the best Pasteur reference. Um, do you remember Peabody and his boy Sherman? Can, I do. I do. Go back in time. And there was this episode that went back in time and they met Louis Pasteur and uh, he was figuring out how to uh, uh, stabilize and sanitize milk. Of course, that was the thing that Pasteur and pasteurization is known for. They witnessed this moment and he was excited about his discovery and he was encouraged to name it after himself. So he named his process Louisization. <laughs> Just let that one sit there for a while. Okay. We also have the Concorde, uh, which could refer to many things. Of course, many people in the modern audience might make the association with the supersonic jet, but there were many vessels named Concorde well before and appropriate to Starfleet uh, and, and the Federation at large. Concorde can refer to a treaty or agreement. Um, Oh, and, and uh, think about Place de la Concorde in Paris, although not really known as such a happy place all the time in its history. And uh, let's see, we also have the Bozeman, which we first heard about in Cause and Effect, and of course named for Brandon Braga's hometown. Now, one of my favorite little moments in this episode is that video call to Riker. Uh, it takes place in the past timeline, and that is footage from Season 1's Arsenal of Freedom, uh, now, depending on which version of this episode you watch, you might actually see another actor behind Riker. And uh, that person was digitally erased for the HD restoration that uh, many of us would be watching for this rewatch. Um, I, I point it out because it's such a neat effect that was really unnecessary. Most of the time when you see somebody on Star Trek call somebody else, you know, you hit the communicator button, you hear the voice in the room, but you don't actually cut to video unless it's a big thing and it's a, an important character on the screen, on the main view screen on the bridge. Uh, or a person-to-person -person conversation like, say, Picard taking a call from Admiral Nakamura. So they didn't have to do this, but a really nice reuse of that footage to get beardless season one Riker into that timeline. Yeah, it sells him in a way that, I mean, like, Denise Crosby was only on in the first episode, or in the first season, excuse mm -hmm. me, and then she was in this episode. And yes, you can see that she sort of aged a bit, mm -hmm. but she doesn't look wildly different. Right. Um, I would say that her haircut was probably not as um, not as fierce yeah. as it was <laughs> no, in the first yeah, season. Good, good use of the word fierce. Yeah. You could never, um, I mean, shave... <laughs> shave Frakes all you want to. He doesn't look like season one Riker yeah. anymore. He just doesn't. He yeah. just can't. So yeah, that was actually a, that was an excellent. Uh, it was an excellent move because it actually it it puts you back there with Picard in a way that just his voice wouldn't have. Mm -hmm. Exactly. All right. And speaking of Admiral Nakamura, well, let's talk about guest stars. Uh, Clyde Kusatsu comes back to play the admiral, and we also have Patty Yasutake back as Nurse Ogawa. 
And we get to see those kind of fan favorite, as you mentioned, Denise Crosby, we get to see those cameos of people coming back to wrap out the series. Of course, John Delancey as Q, Denise Crosby as Tasha Yar, and welcome back to another, well, well kind of a stranger, Colomini as Chief O'Brien. Where's that guy been? I know, right? I got to say, uh, two uh, two characters that played prominently in this episode, it was great to finally see them get a tremendous amount of screen time. Uh, we're, we're Livingston and Lieutenant Junior J. I mm. swear, this may be the only episode in season seven that Lieutenant Junior J is not in. It's a crime. It is a crime. Reruns. Video cassettes, DVDs. While Star Trek, the next generation, never really goes away. This will never happen again. The series finale. All good things. Prologue. Everybody's favorite romantic pair on the Enterprise, Worf and Deanna Troy, exit the holodeck after a moonlit stroll when Worf expresses a little concern over any lingering feelings Commander Riker might have for her. They lean in for a kiss, and then an agitated Picard comes toward them, asking if they know what day it is. Stardate 47988. Stardate 47988? Go to the butcher and buy the biggest goose you can find and take it to the home of one Bob Cratchit. Wait, wait, wrong Picard story. Picard is terribly concerned because he doesn't know how or why he thinks he's moving back and forth in time. Act 1. So here's Picard on what we will now call the present, telling Counselor Troy about these very real experiences, much more real than a dream, where he's suddenly doing something else in a different time, and boom! It's 25 years later, and Picard is working in the family vineyard when he's visited by Geordi LaForge. Both men long since retired from Starfleet. They catch up. Geordi is a novelist with a family of his own. Picard has a degenerative condition, Eremotic Syndrome. They walk toward the Picard home, but Jean-Luc stops in his tracks when he sees a vision of a handful of people yelling, shaking their fists, seemingly mocking him. It makes no sense, but then... Another time shift. Now Picard is on a shuttle being piloted by Tasha Yar toward the Enterprise D in space dock. Picard is taken aback by Tasha's presence, a face he hasn't seen in many years. It's the first day, seven years ago, and he's boarding a Galaxy-class ship for the first time. And since this isn't the motion picture, their flyby of the ship is mercifully cut down by about 8 minutes and 45 seconds. Another jump in Picard is now back in the present with Deanna. He tells her that he was just with their long-dead crewmate. Act 2. Dr. Crusher says Picard is okay. He's not hallucinating. And she doesn't see any evidence that he's been anywhere other than the Enterprise. A call comes in for Picard from Admiral Nakamura with some important news. The Romulans have dispatched 30 warbirds close to the neutral zone, and Starfleet is countering with 15 of their own. It's near the Devron system, and it appears there is a spatial anomaly of some sort that has garnered everyone's attention. 
Then another time shift. Picard is back at the vineyard with Geordi, and he's especially agitated, confused. He even sees those taunting, shabbily dressed people again, the ones Geordi doesn't see. He insists that this isn't the Eremotic Syndrome, and that he wants to go see Data. So, off to Cambridge of the future they go to meet Professor Data. It's all very sophisticated. He's living in Sir Isaac Newton's old digs, and he gets right to suggesting a series of scientific tests to see what's happening to his old captain. Before they can begin, though, here's Picard in the Enterprise shuttle bay. It's the first day again, and he stumbles through a welcome speech to his new crew, interrupted again by a vision of those rude ruffians. The captain calls for a red alert. All crew to battle stations. Act 3. Secret captain's log time. Picard lets us in on the fact that he's not going to tell his crew in the past about what's going on. Instead, he asks them what's going on. Anything weird? No. Worf chimes in that it might be good to know what it is they're looking for. No, not that either. Okay. Uh, thanks. In this past timeline, something familiar is happening. Romulans converging on the neutral zone and some weird anomaly. Yet Picard says no, they're going to Farpoint Station. With engine problems already and no chief engineer, the task falls to O'Brien and Data, now both very new to this assignment, to make things right. A second later in Picard in the present is interrupted by Dr. Crusher. He says he experienced another time shift... What do you know? Beverly sees that he has formed enough memories for two days in just a matter of minutes. Act 4. Picard asks Deanna if she remembers him going to Red Alert before their first mission, or being diverted away from Farpoint. Nope. Nobody remembers this, which leads Data to state the obvious, that the events of one timeline don't seem to be affecting the other, but there is one common thread— that anomaly in the Deveron system. Regardless, they're on their way in the here and now to potentially stare down the enemy, and Picard asks his senior staff for a battle readiness report the following morning. Beverly sees that he's worn out, distracted. She offers a cup of warm milk, the concern of a close friend, and a kiss. They both agree that a lot can happen in 25 years. And catching up with 25 years later, Picard wakes up on Data's couch, telling Geordi that in both past timelines, there was a Romulan convergence on that anomaly in the Devron system. They need to go there. Even though Geordi is reluctant, especially since there is no more neutral zone, it's just Klingons who have taken over the Romulans in this version of the future. Still, Geordi will help his friend find a ship. How about asking Admiral Riker for some help? Riker says no. Nothing unusual in the Devron system. The Yorktown is there, and he just can't arrange passage for Picard's hunch. Data has another idea, though. How about a medical ship? Some have been allowed by the Klingons to pass in order to treat an outbreak on the Romulan homeworld. They contact the USS Pasteur and her captain, Beverly Crusher. Crusher welcomes the three on board, and Geordi suggests they contact Worf to ask for clearance to go to the Devron system. Good plan. But Picard needs some rest. A suggestion from the doctor, his former wife, that he reluctantly takes. 
When he steps away, Jordy, Data, and Doctor, now Captain the former Mrs. Picard, all agree that they don't believe he's moving through time, but they'll help their old friend one last time. As Picard makes his way to his quarters, the turbolift doors open to reveal the bridge of the Enterprise on its first mission. Data reports no anomalies, so why not? Picard calls out for Q, leaving the others on the bridge confused and concerned. When Picard steps into his ready room, though, he steps back into Q's trial room from the very first mission. Act 5. Back where it all started. Jean-Luc Picard is in the courtroom, taunted by and judged by Q, surrounded by the streaming throngs. The trial that began seven years ago never ended. Humanity has been judged and found guilty of not evolving beyond its limited understanding of the universe. So the Q have decided that humanity will be ended. And it's Picard who has kicked this whole thing into motion. Act 6. Picard lays out to his senior staff what has happened, and they ultimately agree that there isn't a clear course of action. Do nothing, and humanity may be annihilated. Do something, and that may be the wrong thing, too. All they can do is carry on, but at least they have the knowledge that Q is causing the time jumps. Romulan warbirds converge and are locked in a face-off with the Federation ships nearby. Picard opens a hail, but a time jump to the future now presents Governor Worf, refusing passage to the USS Pasteur. All it takes, though, is a little guilt, a little button-pushing with an appeal to that old Klingon standby of honor, and Governor Worf comes on board to help. Devron's system, here we come. A jump again to those heady days of Season 1, Picard demands a change of course to the Devron system, which sure confuses the crew, so much so that Deanna asks to see him in private. You know, they're getting a little worried, maybe you should let them in on what they're doing. Nope. Sorry. In the present, there's Romulan Commander Tomalok awaiting Picard's response. They will send one ship each into the Devron system, but not one more into the neutral zone. And what have we here? A spatial anomaly. And here we are in the past, viewing the same anomaly, only way bigger. And here we are in the future, viewing absolutely nothing. Act 7. On the Pasteur, things are getting a little more tense. There's no anomaly, though Data thinks he might be able to tech the tachyon tech with an inverse beam to find one, if it exists. It'll take 14 hours, but they only have about six until a few more ships show up looking for this renegade vessel. Picard doesn't care. He wants to stay, directly countermanding an order from Captain Beverly Picard. A few words in private will straighten him out. He knows he was in the wrong, and Beverly reminds him that this all may be a delusion. He does, after all, have signs of advanced aromatic syndrome, and they wouldn't have come this far, any of them if they weren't giving him some benefit of the doubt. An aged Q shows up to taunt Picard again. At every stage, the time-shifting somehow holds the answer, but that's all he'll allow. Before there's any more detail, back to the present. Picard suggests to Data that they use the inverse tachyon beam to study the anomaly. Hmm, good idea. Good thing Picard has friends who could suggest such a thing. 
Data and Jordy get that beam going, pointed right at the anomaly, but coincidentally, Jordy develops a massive headache. He learns in sickbay that something impossible is happening. His optic nerves are regenerating. It seems like the anomaly is erupting anti-time, so it's backward day on the Enterprise. Well, not quite, but little ruptures are colliding with uh, time, and even though Geordi is regaining his eyesight, time and anti-time will act like matter and antimatter, i.e. not good for a long-term outlook. Season 1 Picard tells Season 1 Data to scan with the tachyon beam looking for those ruptures in anti-time, but heading into his ready room, Picard finds himself in the future, aboard the Pasteur, and in the throes of a Klingon attack. Act 8. Hey, 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 knock it off! This is a medical- Ow! Beverly tells Worf to signal the surrender, but they just keep firing. Things are bad, but before they get worse, who should show up? Admiral Riker and a way-tricked-out Enterprise just punching a whole lot of daylight into the Klingon ships. Still too late for the Pasteur, though, which has a warp core in breach. Riker beams the crew aboard the Enterprise and is ready to get going as fast as possible, though Picard is indignant that they stay to discover what causes the end of humanity. A hypospray from Beverly knocks him out, which sends us to the present again. Geordi is seeing with his own eyes again. Sadly, Nurse Ogawa has lost her baby since the reversal in time caused the fetus to revert back to just so much DNA. The longer the effects take place, the more damage they'll do to the crew. Picard directs his crew to find a way to potentially collapse the anomaly, but Q shows up with the suggestion that maybe that will end humanity. Then again, maybe leaving it alone is the wrong answer. Snap of Q's fingers, and he and Picard are standing on Earth, in France, about 3.5 billion years ago. The anomaly is there, huge in the sky, because, yeah, it gets bigger the farther back in time it goes. Q shows Picard that it, right there, interrupts the fundamental formation of the proteins that lead to all life on Earth. And it's all Picard's fault. Act 9. One Piece Jumpsuit Picard is asking Data and O'Brien what could have caused the anomaly. They don't know. But data suggests a tomographic imaging scanner could give them a better look. Only where's one when you need it? It's not there, but it is in the present, so two-piece uniform Picard asks data to give it a go. He does, and what he finds is three distinct tachyon pulses, all with the same signature, but they're from three different times. Future Picard is awoken with this revelation and goes off to find Admiral Riker, but not before we have a little catch-up with him and the rest of the crew in 10 forward. There's more than a little bitterness. Worf and Riker haven't spoken in ages, and it all comes back to Deanna. In this future, she's dead, and Riker seemingly could never let go of the idea that he had a future with her, which soured his relationship with Worf. A disheveled Picard finally reaches Ten Forward, stammering through a description that no one really wants to hear. They created the anomaly here in the future by using the tachyon beam. Thank goodness Data is there to confirm the idea, because everyone else just wants the crazy old man to go back to bed. Data convinces everyone the theory is sound. 
three different tachyon beams and three different time periods all in the same place, that caused the rupture, that caused the flow of anti-time. If they go back to the Deveron system now, they might be able to catch it as it forms. All hands on deck? That means the surly Mr. Worf, too. So requests the surly Admiral Riker. Act 10. Future Enterprise makes it back to the Devron system, and there's the rupture just as expected. Picard, now knowing that he'll be present in all three timelines, tells his present and past crews to disengage the tachyon pulses. They do, but nothing happens. Future Data has an idea, though. If they bring the Enterprise into the rift and create a static warp shell, they could separate time and anti-time. They're all on board, and past Picard has a bit of convincing to do with his fresh crew. Present Data comes up with the idea himself, which Picard okays. In a moment. Well, what do you know about that? Three Enterprises from three different time periods all facing each other down... All three experience a loss of warp field containment, and let me tell you, there are three mighty big explosions. The card is alive, though. Back in the courtroom with Q, this time just the two of them. Picard managed to collapse the anomaly, and he and his crew lived to see another day. And yet, was Q who offered him a helping hand to solve the mystery? This may not be the end, though. Q reminds him that the trial never ends. This was a test, and in the moment Picard realized he was in a paradox, that was the point at which he showed Q that his mind could be expanded. It's not about mapping stars, he says, but about charting the unknown possibilities of existence. We're back where it all started. Picard in his jammies, walking the halls of the Enterprise to find Worf and Deanna in an almost kiss. He asks what day it is. He's the only one who remembers what happened in those alternate realities. Starfleet has no reports of activity in the neutral zone, no space anomalies, all is well. Worf, Data, Dr. Crusher, Riker, and LaForge are at their usual poker game. They're wondering a bit if the future Picard experienced will come to pass. Dana Troy stops by to join the game, then another person at the door. It's Picard. Joining the game for the very first time. It's his deal, and he says he should have done this a long time ago. Deanna tells him he was always welcome. The end. I am so glad I didn't have to write that recap. I I had to leave a lot out. (laughs) <laughs> but it's still long. And yet, yeah, it's because it's, uh, they're a wordy couple of guys. You get Brandon Braga and uh, Ronald D. Moore in a room together. Never met a word they didn't like. And soon there will be no room for you. <laughs> because <laughs> words upon words upon words. But they're good words. Mm-hmm. And um, I actually do. I, 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 I enjoy this episode quite a bit. I'll go ahead and say that now. I enjoy this episode. Okay. We'll get to the merits and all that stuff. But I enjoy this episode. Uh, this, however, is the part of the show where we do have fun with the show. So let me just say, old Picard is a manipulative jerk. Oh, oh, yeah. Well, yeah. He just is. He, yeah. He, he, he just is. You know, <laughs> yeah, okay, he is. He, he, he's, he's, he's confused. Okay. Uh, uh, he's not confused about how manipulation works on people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I know. I know. Yeah. 
Yeah. Because yeah, here's what happened. Worf said, look, I got a job to do. And Picard's like, well, if you're any kind of Klingon, you just, you know, throw off the Klingon Empire and, and, and you know, remember your loyalty to me. Yeah. And, and Worf's like, ah, I could never say no to you, which is also what uh, Picard said. I'm mm-hmm. sorry. Dr. Picard. Mm-hmm. Dr. Captain Picard said to Picard, I could never say no to you. Yeah. Yeah. Which is not true because we've seen seven seasons, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, look, nothing in the alternate future is anything we really have to worry about being real, quote unquote, real in, in this fictional show. But uh, how do we feel about Jordy actually settling down with Leah Brahms? Uh, I feel bad about the next time Jordy and Leah meet. Oh, yeah. Oh, in real life. Right. Oh, I hope Picard left that part out. Yeah. You think he, you think he would have? Because I can totally see, I can totally see Jordy going. I got a shot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which apparently he does. Because I mean, that is. I mean, we assume, even though this is not necessarily the future into which they will live, we assume that that was a real future into which they lived. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. just not maybe the one that they're going to live into. Yeah, yeah. I was disappointed to hear that he didn't uh, didn't get back together with Ariel. <laughs> that would have been nice. Aquiel, Aquiel, I'm sorry, Aquiel. That would have. Oh. Man, Aquiel Part 2, if only. Uh, what do you make of Starfleet's lack of medical confidentiality? Oh, uh, you mean the fact that they've never heard of the word confidentiality? Leah's got a few friends at Starfleet Medical and word gets around, <laughs> is what uh, is what Jordy said. So be sure to go there for your more sensitive medical needs. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, yeah, yeah, you already heard about that guy, syphilis. Oh. <laughs> Where'd you hear that? Well, I got a friend at Starfleet Medical and word gets around. Yeah, literally everybody at Starfleet Medical. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Stop the presses. Yeah, they, they posted it on Starfleet Facebook, too. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I left this uh, especially out of trivia, but hey, nice shout out to the shuttlecraft Galileo. Yes, that was good. I actually, I meant to, and unfortunately I ran out of time. I actually meant to go back and watch uh, Encounter at Farpoint again. Mm-hmm. To see how closely uh, the scenes, especially with Picard and uh, and uh, Denise Crosby, yeah, uh, mirrored each other. By the way, uh, really great to see her not as Sila. Oh yes, yes, yeah. <laughs> I was a big fan. Like I saw her, and I was like, oh, this is why we loved her. This yeah. is why we loved her. Sila yeah. is not the reason that we loved her. Uh, it's also great to see Picard going back to Sonoma. I'm sorry, France. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, make sure. Yeah, make sure you're just very clear about those um although he does go back to france looks a little different three and a half billion years ago (laughs) no no flags can i tell you honestly one of the things so i gathered with a bunch of people to watch this episode when it first broadcast and mostly we were being very irreverent and mostly we were just sitting there you know totally uh totally just you know caught up in the whole story and q said uh life begins here and another guy in the room and i said in france (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah it, it actually does yeah sure mm-hmm. I, I, I have no problem believing that there, there's a lot of tectonic shift so it was france it just wasn't where france is that's there, there you go I'll, I'll i'll retcon it that way there were so many and this is a, a, a an honest one in this part of the show where we just like to have fun and poke holes and things many sweet scenes between picard and beverly um and I feel like this is truly one of the strengths of the episode. Um, 
to some of the highlights, the, the, the diagnosis. I mean, like you play out so much of them in these little snippets. The diagnosis, uh, when she first reveals the, the aromatic syndrome, um, mm-hmm. the, the scene with the warm milk, of course, the kiss. It, it is a lovely kiss. But then all the reveals about their future relationship, that they were married, that they're divorced, that they still have this playful. I love just them going in for a hug and, and a handshake, but then it's a hug. Every single bit of that. And when you consider if you just pulled those scenes and added them up, it's only a few minutes. It's not the the central point of the episode. But man, does that just ground everything that's happening. My favorite is in the future when, you know, she says, you need to get some rest. And he says, I am not a child. I will not be coddled. I will not be told what to do. And now I'm going to go get some rest. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that was a great, that was a great sort of like, even though they're not still married, that was a great old married couple moment. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it seemed to me. So yeah, that was, that was fun to see. Um, oh, and, and this episode, you know, we, we mention every now and then when a shot is something that then takes a, a, a life of its own after the fact. We have the scene that launched the thousand memes. It's Picard in his pajamas looking at the computer screen, hand up to his mouth, and it's usually tagged with some kind of meme message that starts out with, girl, you know, like, it's, yeah, it's just, it's a great shot. I, I could not remember where that came from because I see versions of that meme everywhere, and it's great. Uh, Data says, living in Cambridge, that his housekeeper, oh, she does make me laugh. And uh, does she? Does that mean that Data has a sense Laughs of now. humor now? Has a sense laughs. of humor. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there were a couple of times that older Data, it seemed to me, smiled more, mm-hmm. smiled more genuinely yep. than, you know, he does um, than anything that we've seen to this point. Yeah. That that scene in uh, 10 Forward, he, he's got a mm-hmm. nice big smile at that moment. And, and I wondered about that it, because, again, it's just the the social cue that he's learned to do that. Or is he genuinely enjoying that moment? Just like, is he genuinely laughing at his um, stereotype housekeeper? Yeah. <laughs> I'd prefer to think laughing with her. Okay. All right. Not All right. at her, because that would be sort of a terrible thing. It would be terrible. Um, yeah. But good to see that, you know, of all the sub-programs that Dr. Soong put in, that his affectation program is fully functional. That was. Are you uh, talking about the gray hair or the or the lounging jacket or the, the, how do you all, mean? all of the above? All, I'm not saying that I'm not saying that I wouldn't do that myself, but I'm just saying all the cats. Are you talking about all the cats? <laughs> all, all, all of the cats. Yeah. Uh, I actually had a question about uh, data. His post at Cambridge. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So he's got no expiration date, right? As far as we know, he gets to just live and live and live. Yeah. Does he just hold the Lucasian chair forever now? Because who's going to be better at math? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Until yeah. he builds another lull, which is going to be more like, you know, until he builds deep thought or, you know, the earth or whatever it is that he has to build to be you know, like a bigger computational power than him. I mean, is that just, is that now like a lifetime appointment, which means forever as far as he's concerned? Yeah, wow, that, that's his own special existential hell. Um, so or, let, let's, let's or heaven. ponder that in another episode. Yeah, Maybe. Oh, yes, in, in future episodes of Next Gen. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, we'll, we'll do that. Yeah. By the way, it, you mentioned the Lucasian chair. I, I, I did have a couple of notes about that, that, of course, at the time of this episode, that was held by Stephen Hawking, who, of course, we had as a, a special guest star in Star Trek Next Generation. Uh, no longer Hawking, though. 
Uh, it is now uh, Michael Green, another theoretical physicist. Oh, and do you notice the uh, the reference to Nora Satie, Admiral Satie's commission of the Enterprise to Picard? Mm-hmm. She, of course, being Admiral Satie from the drumhead, their relationship did not play out so well in that episode. So, yeah, N- nice that they were on better terms back then when uh, she she wrote the order giving him command of the Enterprise. Um but there were just so many details in this. So I, I liked that. Um, I, I liked, you know, the obvious details like the, the season one uniforms showing up, uh, the, the gold enterprise ship models in the observation lounge, which just one day were gone, you know, <laughs> but nice to see those come back. So very cool. They, they did, you were saying you wanted to go back and watch Farpoint. You know, all the set dressing that had changed. There were some things that they actually left in place um, that were build outs from the later seasons that probably just would have been too much to move and change. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there was a lot of stuff that they did go back to. And, and one nice thing in the uh, the behind the scenes footage um, uh, from some of the, the interviews on uh, the Blu-rays, Mike Okuda is talking about how they put actual computer monitors in the future Enterprise so you could have motion graphic, live motion graphics instead of statics and then just cutting to an animation when they needed to. Hmm. So that was a, a cool change to show off. Yeah. Hey, uh, how many bruises do you think were on LeVar Burton's arm from Patrick Stewart just punching him repeatedly? It wasn't that hard. I, it's I, you know what? It was harder than a little tap. It was it was like this old man doing a uh, we're we're buddies and I'm gonna punch you. And how many? Let's say they shot that scene five times. Let's let's say they shot it ten times. Yeah. That's a lot of punching. Next time, next time you and I are together. No, no, because I'm, I'm very, I'm very delicate. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna hurt you. I'm not gonna hurt you though. That's my point. I, I think, I think it probably was not nearly as hard as you think it was. Okay, he sold it though. That's what I'm saying. He yeah, sold it. Well, he did sell it, but he was like a seventy-something-year-old man at that point. So yes, <laughs> I think, I think you could take it. Is my point. Okay. I certainly think Levar right. Burton could take it. Okay. It was funny, though, to see how people had aged in 25 years. So, yeah, we're going to say that Picard, because he's – Picard is older than Patrick Stewart playing him in the, the present timeline anyway. So, let's say that he's, like, in his 70s. And and Beverly just is amazing and radiant. And Geordi is still Geordi. And Riker, um, he he looks like he's maybe hit the bottle. Like the the whole thing with Deanna had some serious repercussions later. He he looks. Have you seen the outtakes of Orson Welles doing the uh, Paul Masson champagne commercial? I have not. Oh, and, and the, the directors and they. Oh, okay, uh, take one hundred and two, and he's ah the French, and he was like, <laughs> wow, this he's potted is what you're saying. He was potted at that point. He was. He was. And and there is a serious, yeah. There, there's a big big resemblance between that Orson Welles and Admiral Riker. Yeah. See, I was thinking it actually just looked like Riker had been rolled in flour for some reason. <laughs> for like <laughs> forever. Like, forever. Just, yeah. Every morning he gets up and like, you know, big powder puff, uh, well, flour, I guess, or yeah. maybe just white powder <laughs> on his face and then off to work for some right, reason, right. looking for all the world like a ghost. Um, let's see, there, there's the, the nice bit in the conference room, uh, where, where Picard says something along the lines of that Q has always had a certain fascination with humanity and, and with myself in particular. Oh, 
Oh, oh, very well, Jean-Luc Picard. That's that's very special of you. Although yeah. then, you know, the when knocked out of the sails immediately, like a pet, says Data, like a pet. Uh, that's that's the relationship between <laughs> right. uh, Q and Picard. And speaking of pets, uh, shout out to Livingston Picard, who I think may turn up in the movie. I'm not sure, but but uh, but shout out to him, uh, Livingston Picard, ladies and gentlemen, doing better than Lieutenant Junior J. Mm-hmm. Got, got a mention in this episode, though not by name. That well, true, but at least got a mention. Yeah, nobody was yeah, like, yeah. "Yeah, where's a? Uh, shouldn't loot? What's her? Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> right." Hey, uh, just a quick thing that that I, I will say, you know, the whole thrust of the episode is Jean-Luc Picard causing the end of humanity. I get it. Jean-Luc Picard caused the anomaly and the anomaly interrupts the development of life on Earth. But can I just just if it pleases the court, Q stuck his hands in the primordial soup. <laughs> we We don't know what was on his hands. He might have uh, he he might have had like some antibacterial on there. It could have been all kinds of stuff. I say Q might be culpable. So you think the whole thing was a frame up? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You think Q actually blamed Picard because he he sort of uh, stopped all life on Earth? Yeah, he's like, look, uh, I'm I'm touching I'm touching the amino acids that are about to become proteins. I'm touching them. Look what you did while I'm touching them. Ken is upset about Lieutenant Junior J, but he forgot two more characters that were left out of the finale. The holodeck and, hello, the computer. While TNG is not done victimizing Troy, oh, she has a nemesis to meet in the future. Not necessarily hers, but she has a nemesis to meet in the future. While TNG is not uh, done victimizing Troy, it is just so typical that in the finale, she's dead. Yeah, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Now, granted, I mean, there's also present day and there's the past. So she's not, you know, as Miracle Max might say, she's only mostly dead. Mm -hmm. But uh, but yeah, she's dead. Yeah. And it's Troy. It's Troy who's dead because, well, of course, it's Troy. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I I got nothing to add to that because of course it's Troy. Of course it's Troy. <laughs> I mean, and it makes sense. Although what's interesting is, uh, so she ended up having a relationship with neither of the suitors, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because Riker says, "I always thought there'd be time," and in the meantime, uh, they say sitting around the table. And why is Worf just sitting in ten forward by himself? By the way, yeah, right. but but they yeah. say sitting around the table with Worf sitting over there in the corner uh, by himself. Uh, facing the other way, not even drinking, but just, you know, sitting in ten forward. Yeah. They say, um, you know, oh, I think Worf blames you, Riker, or blames you, Will, because he never got together with Deanna. Okay, well, wait a minute. So he never got together with Deanna, and Riker never got together with Deanna. And now Deanna's dead. I, and we're left with a big fat mystery of why she's dead, because that seems like an important <laughs> thing. Well, I don't know. No, bear in mind, it is an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. Mm-hmm. Something's going to happen to Deanna. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just is, especially in the finale. So, and, and, and by the way, I didn't realize until I was just laying out all those other things, not only is she dead, she never even had the relationship that she was looking for. No. Because she yeah. and Worf never got together, and Riker always figured, ah, there's time enough for that later. I'm yeah. just going to go, you know, go watch people play 
lutes in the holodeck <laughs> or something. <laughs> I'm going to pursue my career as an yeah. admiral and eventually maybe we'll... Oh, dead? Oh, I guess we won't. I blame the Klingon. Yeah, that's unfortunate. It is indeed. There's a dramatic moment uh, in in leading up to the end of this episode where you have season one Picard giving a dramatic speech to his crew. Mm -hmm. Take that speech out of context of what we know and what this is leading up to. Um, What he's saying is, uh, I know this seems weird and I know you don't know me, but believe me, this is really important. He he literally says, I'm asking you for a a leap of faith and to trust me. Mm -hmm. It's horrifying. I mean, that was my note on that. It's horrifying. Uh, It's we know what's going to happen. We know that it's going to turn out okay. Mm -hmm. Um, But in the 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 reality of the show, Mm -hmm. all these people have just met. There may be a couple of days out from from having just boarded the Enterprise. They don't know each other. They don't know the captain. If we've seen anything in the history of uh, Starfleet, we know that there are some, you know, unhinged captains. People get up to a certain rank, a certain level. They've been around long enough and and they start to do crazy things. Mm-hmm. Maybe they can't be trusted. Um you're thinking of Pressman. You're thinking of Deckard. You're thinking of uh, yeah. Well, well see, here's the thing. Remember, Decker only went. Decker. Yeah, Decker only went crazy because of that specific thing that happened to him, right? You know, but but a guy like Pressman, a guy like Pressman's just he's just uh, on the wrong side from the get go, and and had a, a Pressman gotten a certain idea in his head, like we need to go do this thing, and it might get everybody killed. Mm-hmm. Well, that that's just. That's just another day at work for Pressman. Well, that is what Pressman did. For people who don't remember, Pressman was uh, the stepfather. He was um, Agent Michaud, I believe, from the X-Files. And he was the captain of the Pegasus, which, of mm-hmm. course, was working on a way to not only cloak a Federation starship, but also move through uh, solid matter. Uh, he and his crew, uh, <laughs> John Big Boutet, and uh, all the other people moving through rock. Um, right. Yeah, he, was, he, he wasn't crazy, though. He was a bad guy. Here's the thing. I, I, I do believe – well, I don't know. You tell me. I shouldn't say I believe this. I wonder this. Was Picard like unhinged enough to his crew like when Tasha starts questioning him there at the end? Mm-hmm. If he had tried to pull a pressman and say, shut up, I'm the captain, do what I say, do they actually go where he wants them to go? Were they – I don't want to say mutiny. Were they, were they, uh, were they on the edge of relieving him of duty? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, it, that, that's why it's such a a standout scene to me. And I don't mean standout in a great way. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but this is why it sticks out to me, because it, it relies on what we already know about Picard. And, that, and that's for the audience. That, that's not for the people who are there. Uh, for the people who are there, is it realistic that one of them might be thinking, like, how do we get this guy off the bridge? Mm-hmm. Who's actually next in command if we have to relieve him? How far are we going to let him take us without telling us what we're doing that endangers the ship? And, you know, at what point as they're sitting in the anomaly and uh, there's one Enterprise down and another <sighs> Enterprise down. Yeah. Does the third, at least the third, maybe the second too, but at least the third say, 
perhaps we should back out of here. Well, yeah, it was the youngest Enterprise, right? It was the one from seven years ago that explodes first. Yep. Yeah, good thing. Yeah. Because, yeah, I think they probably would have backed out at that point. Here's yeah. the thing, though. I mean, it is a good speech. Mm-hmm. I mean, he does say to them exactly what he needs to say to them to get them on board, I think. I mean, asking for a leap of faith, saying, you know, I need you to trust me, and saying, even though you don't know me, I know you to be the finest crew in Starfleet. I mean, there's no way he should know that, except, of course, he's become unstuck in time. But mm-hmm. I mean, don't know that. Yeah, right. But at least he's telling them things that, you know, that might make them want to follow him, as opposed to just, you know... You have your orders, which is actually how he sort of started off the whole thing. And it's kind of weird that that um, it never came to talking to the Beta Z, right? Yeah, right. Like she might have actually gone aside with somebody and said, okay, I know he seems crazy, but he's really not crazy. I don't know what he's up to, but I can tell he's, you know, I can tell he's sound as a pound. So let's go ahead and follow him anyway. But then, of course, that it would have been undermining his command. I mean, the fact that he was able to stand there to them and say, look, I know this seems nuts, but I promise you it's not. And I love you. So let's, you know, let's, let's fly into the middle of that thing. What do you say? Yeah. No, it's a good thing he did not follow up that speech by saying, and here's why I know, because I'm my future self <laughs> inhabiting this body. So really, trust right. me. Yeah, I thought it was kind of funny, actually, in his ready room. He's like, I've decided not to tell them that I'm from the future because I think if they know things about the future, it might affect their timeline. Also, they might think I'm crazy. Yeah. But (laughs) but come on, Ken. How many of us have written that same thing in our journals? You know, (laughs) look, I'm not going to tell anybody I'm from the future. Just me? Just me? Okay. Um, There was an interesting thing that came up between Picard and Q. That I wanted to ask you about. It's not important, but it was kind of interesting. Uh, At the end, uh, towards the end of what would be part one, if this were a two-part episode, um, when Picard first wanders into the court after seeing, you know, the the people from the court, you know, all through the episode, when he finally Mm -hmm. wanders into the court, um, Q says, I thought you'd never get here. To me, this was an interesting line. Uh, was it him arriving in that place in space, or was it him figuring out what the heck was going on to which Q referred? Because uh, the courtroom doesn't actually exist. Right. Right? And no, so, I, I thought it was literally just the, the mental leap. Okay. Yeah. That's – yeah, but, but I don't know. Is there a physical element to it, you think? I have no idea. I just thought, I mean, when he said, I thought you'd never get here, it's because, I mean, they were near Farpoint at that point, right? They were near where the barrier had been. They were actually near the place where Q had first, uh, where Q had first um, captured them for all intents and purposes. So I just, you know, I didn't know if it was, I assume, I I think you're probably right. And I, that's sort of what I was thinking as well. That's why I found the the phrase interesting though. Um, Because he does say it in a very, you know, sort of physical sense, but that could be part of his misdirection or it could just be a cute line. Yeah. Yeah. No, I actually, well, it it certainly plays as a cute line, but I I thought it was the the mental jump. I thought you'd never get here. I thought you'd never put two and two together. Mm -hmm. You know, um, there are a couple more kind of elements to this uh, episode that I want to talk about because I, I think you and I are going to have a lot to say in the wrap up here. But but there's um, 
the stuff with old Picard that that's really touching. Um, so we we've talked a few times about how Star Trek deals with aging, sometimes very well, sometimes not. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, in this case, it's really sweet that his friends rally, that that they care, and they go to these great lengths. And I don't think they're ever patronizing. You know, there there is that one moment with Captain Doctor Beverly Crusher Picard. <laughs> That she sort of lets on that, you know, if you weren't you, we wouldn't be doing this, Mm -hmm. which is the closest thing we get to actually telling him, you know, we're, we're just, we're just doing this and we don't think that what you think is really what's going on here. But even, even then it's sort of done in a, uh, in a, in a gentle and realistic way, not, not in sort of a hateful, spiteful way. So I thought all of that stuff was, was played well. The other thing that I, I came away from this episode thinking was, um, I was asking myself, what, what was the real test? And I, and I know that Q says like, here's the test. We want to make sure you could expand your mind. Okay. All right. Fair enough. I, I have some thoughts on that that we'll, we'll get into in the next bit. Um, or the, the other test is solve the mystery of the spatial anomaly. But I also thought the test, as we know, Q is interested in humanity and Q is interested in Picard in particular. Is the test something about the human bond that's going on here? So think of it this way. Picard at each stage of his career that we see in this story, season one Picard, season seven Picard and and future Picard, he faces the same challenge each time, which is people not believing him. You know, he's, you know, he has a little bit easier time of it in certain times, mm-hmm. in certain moments, but he's got to get the trust of the people around him because he's going to do something crazy. Um, even if they don't want to be convinced, particularly with future Picard, they, they don't necessarily want to be convinced. They just, they see it as like this, this mercy that they're giving him to be nice to, uh, to the old man. Um, but it seems like this is sort of what is, well, to to use the word again, this is what is cemented. This is what is bonded again at the end. It, it's Picard's sort of ending up as a very different person at the end of season seven than the guy that we met at the very beginning of season one. You remember how we really didn't like the the coldness of this guy and putting Riker through the test and yeah I I get it look uh, uh, CEOs or or XOs have the the right and and probably a tradition to sort of uh, test and raz the people under them to sort of feel them out and and make sense of it but there was a a part of that that struck us as a little odd this being this this more humane advanced and thoughtful version of a quasi military structure. But regardless, this is a very different guy at the end of this. He's he's sort of kind and gentle and humbled and is really creating a human bond with these guys at the end of the show. And we've had little tastes of that throughout, but but this was this was a moment. I don't disagree with that. I also don't think Q cares. 
I think I think all the human stuff that we saw between um, uh, Picard and the crew is, I mean, first of all, I mean, as you said at the beginning, they uh, the writers said that this was their love letter to TNG. And so mm-hmm. everybody gets everybody gets something here, with the exception of Deanna, who gets killed for some reason. <laughs> oh, Otherwise, everybody gets something here, right? Yeah. But as far as Q is concerned, I mean, the, the only reason we have to like pull all these strings with all these different people is because Picard can't free his mind from where he's sitting, right? He's captain of a starship, and so he's going to use a starship to go there. And then seven years later, he's still captain of a starship, so he's still going to go and you know do that. And then 25 years later, he's not captain of a starship anymore, but that's how he thinks. And so that's what he's going to need to go check out this thing. I think if he could have just sat there, like borrowed Data's chair maybe, and actually gone, okay, wait a minute. So maybe this, maybe this, maybe this. If he had freed his mind where he was, I think then Q would have been fine with that. It, hmm. Picard is the tip of a spear because he is the captain of the flagship of the Federation, right? He's the tip of the spear and he could go out into the universe and he could do great things. He could also go out in the universe and do great damage. Mm-hmm. And that I really think is, is Riker's interest. I mean, not Riker's, uh, Q's interest here. Witness the fact he did not toy with Beverly. He did not yeah, make fun of Riker. They didn't even see him. The whole time, right? Right. His interest now is in humanity. And whether you are a Kirk person or a Picard person or another captain down the road person, um, in this particular telling of Star Trek, uh, he is the captain. He is the leader. He is, he is the best that humanity has to offer theoretically. And that's all Q is concerned about at this point because – if the best that humanity has to offer can't think outside the box, then humanity's got no shot and they're going to go ahead and take it down now. So I think, I mean, I'm not, which is not to, which is not to say anything against the relationships and the friendships and all that, but that's for us. That's for Picard and, and the help, the support that he needs. The one thing Q is interested in is whether we're going to be able to stop thinking a to B to C, as he talked about with Picard initially. At least that's that's the way I saw it. Yeah, no, I, I'll give you all of that. I I, I think I'm. Uh, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm going to give Q a little heart here as well. Um, you know, he he is uh, all knowing, all seeing. He knows the future. Maybe, maybe it's just sort of the uh, the 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 bow on the present. Uh, that he got to challenge Picard enough to open his mind, but then the uh, the good upshot of that is that uh, that he he's a, a different guy because of his experience in the end, and uh, you know it's a ni- nice little beneficial side effect. I mean, let's face it, Picard needed to go play poker with his crew members at some point. <laughs> With the closing credits played on the last episode of TNG, it is time to see what we can take from all good things. It's unfathomable to me that we've gotten to the end of the Next Gen TV series. And now we're only four stories, four stories away from the end of our Next Gen crew. I mean, you know, some of them are going to turn up other places, I know. Uh, Cole Meany's got a shot at DS9. Um, uh, what's his name? Michael Dorn uh, goes <laughs> off to DS9. 
Uh, I hear that, uh, it, is it William Riker that shows up on DS9? Hmm. We'll have to see if that's William Riker that shows up on DS9 or maybe someone else. <sighs> this is the last time I will get to ask this, though, for the uh, television series uh, Star Trek The Next Generation. We have reached the last episode of Next Gen. All good things. I must ask, John. And I don't want to. I honestly don't want to, but I must ask. Um, not because I think your answer is going to be bad, but I don't, I'm, I'm not done with this crew yet. I know. I know. Uh, but I have to be. So, all good things. Does this episode hold up as far as you're concerned? Uh, that It's such a loaded question this week. Because every week that we ask that, uh, we'll kind of justify why we answer one way or the other. Well, it holds up as this, but it doesn't hold up as this. Or it, this time, we'll give it a pass because it holds up in this particular way. But this is tough because it, it's, it's an epic production to begin with. And we talked about it, this is sort of a feature film level production just in terms of scope and and schedule and there's a lot of new effects and you got a lot of makeup effects and all this stuff going on um mm -hmm. but there's so much of the audience invested in it because we've gotten to the end of seven seasons of trek with the the series that revived trek um so it, it it's massive to get to this point and I, I mean, this episode kind of has to hold up because we feel like the entire series has been leading up to this. Like, like literally, they, they go back to episode one and say, here's all the other alternate versions this plays out. And remember Q, how he kicked this whole thing off. We're going to bring him back again to wrap this thing up. Um, so to, to tell the complete story, you have to have this episode. And as you mentioned earlier, this is the first time that we have had Star Trek aware of its finale episode. Mm -hmm. So this is a big deal. I could find a lot to nitpick here. Really could. You know, I, I feel like just the, the story by itself, they could have done it as a, as a regular length episode if, if they wanted it to be that. Um, I feel like there are certain aspects of this that are just fan service. Do I need three enterprises looking at each other? Do I need an enterprise with a third nacelle? Yes, you need an enterprise with a third nacelle. Put another way, I need an enterprise with a third nacelle. I, I, do we know anybody who works on a teeny tiny spaceships? Or bigger ships or anything yeah. like that? Because, yes, I need right. an enterprise with a third nacelle. All, all your third nacelle ships can go to Ken Ray. <laughs> um, um, and it, it, here's the thing. I, I'm not totally convinced that there's something for Picard to learn here because, let's face it, he's already pretty awesome. You, you already said that Picard is the best of the best. And and a lot of what we have here is is just Q presenting another mystery, another puzzle to solve. Well, I mean, Picard being the best of the best, though, that doesn't mean you're necessarily any good. Yeah, but we know that Picard's pretty good. Well, we know that Picard's pretty good by human standards. I mean, the question here is, is he good by Q standards? That's a different sort of thing. I mean, yes, he's the best we have to offer. Mm -hmm. 
But, you know, then send them up against like a Cree or something like that, <laughs> if you don't mind me mixing universes for just a moment. I mean, and the Cree are terrible. Don't misunderstand. I'm not defending them. I'm not an apologist for the Cree, <laughs> all right? So back off. My point is, uh, I mean, he's, yes, he is the best of what we have to offer. But, I mean, like, so is there a pack led someplace that's like is the best of the best of the pack leds? I mean, they'd last like 30 seconds with Q. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, Picard may be the best we have to offer. Is the best that we have to offer actually good enough? That's the question that Q is uh, Q is asking. I think. Yeah, but it, and Picard is a guy that you can kind of reason with and say, here are the ways that you need to be better. And and yeah, putting him to the test is, is one way to do that. But but Picard's somebody who will actually listen. You know. So um, I, what I find fascinating about this episode, it, it's seeing the characters play out their lives in an alternate future. It, it's the ghost of Star Trek yet to come, but like A Christmas Carol, the future isn't written. And, um, you know, I, I love that last scene. I think the whole episode really comes together with everybody playing poker just because it's so genuine and it's so heartfelt and it is that new direction for Picard. Um, I, I love that moment as much as seeing everybody's signature at the end of Star Trek six, you know, it's mm-hmm. sort of the perfect way to wrap it up. Um, when I first rewatched this episode for our show, mm-hmm. I wasn't in love with it. I, I, I'll tell you just honestly, I wasn't in love with it the way I thought I would be. But then when I went back and studied it to write what I had to write and take my notes for this episode, I uh, I started to love it again. Um, so yeah, it it holds up. It holds up for all the reasons that I said. And even though there, there are things that I can nitpick about it, that that doesn't take away from my loving this episode. I think it holds up really well. But I'll agree with Ron Moore. It doesn't hold up on its own. It it holds up because we've been on a journey, and they picked the right way to wrap up this journey and and hand it to us to to thank the audience for being mm-hmm. there with them. So, um, yeah, don't, don't add this to the list of episodes to start somebody with. You, you've got to go on that journey first. How about you? Um, I actually had something written about A Christmas Carol as well. <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> yeah. ghosts of past, present, and yet to come, shades of things, you know, that might be, not necessarily will be. Yeah. Um, and then waking to find that virtually no time has passed and, you know, realizing it is a wonderful life. <clears throat> Maybe. <laughs> um, it's a really good finale. That's what I would say. It's a really good finale. Yeah. And and yes, you're right. It is mostly for people who have come along on that journey. Um, everyone in Picard's life, at least as long as we've known him, steps, steps up and does their best, which is fantastic. There are callbacks to the very first episode, but then there are callbacks to other things as well, like the fact – like the whole thing about um, uh, about Jordy uh, uh, and Leah. Mm-hmm. We've talked repeatedly about how he, he has zero luck with women. He has zero luck with women. Mm-hmm. And, and so the idea that he's happy and then the idea that he's happy with somebody that we actually, you know, that we know. Sure, he was a creeper around her initially. <laughs> but, you know, uh, the fact that it ends well. Um, uh, is is kind of a neat thing to see. I'm sad about uh, uh, Picard and Picard not being able to work it out, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but you know that's that's how those things go, I suppose. And at least we know that they got together. Plus, I know I joked about it in the open of the show, but we finally got the kiss. 
Yeah. You know, I mean, we finally got we finally got a little bit out of that, although it never actually happened. I mean, once again, we have that whole thing of like, well, this thing happened to me and nobody knows about it, but they all believe me. So I guess that's good. Um, it honestly reminded me a little bit of Star Trek three. One of my favorite parts of Star Trek three, hmm. um, as heartbreaking as it was to see the Enterprise um, blow up or, or, you know, get destroyed in Star Trek three. Kirk says, uh, what have I done? And Bone says, what you always do, what you had to. Um, and it was sort of like uh, sort of it, like that big a thing. And yet, of course, we still get to walk away at the end. I mean, it's still an episode of Star Trek, yeah. television Star Trek. So in yeah. the end, everything's going to be fine. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> With the exception of, you know, for uh, Tasha Yar, that one time that she got killed. <laughs> Um, but even for Deanna, who spends a good bit of this episode dead, mm -hmm. uh, you know, she's back and she's fine and everything's great. There have been so many episodes that I would have sworn I know backwards and forwards. And then I watched them and I'm like, oh, I don't remember that. Oh, I don't remember that part. This episode is seared in my brain. Mm. There was there was nothing that I saw that I was like, oh, I don't remember this being so whatever. The one thing is I did not remember um, Jordy being so easy for Picard to roll over. Mm. I mean, like all the time. Jordy's like, eh, we can't. And then Picard's like, come on. He's like, oh, OK. Right. I mean, that just happens repeatedly. That's the only thing. But that is probably the only complaint that I could possibly have for th uh, this episode, uh, with the exception of the fact that there's no Lieutenant Junior J and uh, and Troy's dad. You know, otherwise, I got no complaints about this episode at all. It just it it is fan service, and I am a fan. Yeah. This is the series that I would leave my friends in the middle of whatever was happening on Saturday afternoon and go back and watch this because I missed TOS. It did not hit me the same way. I didn't watch it the same way a lot of people did, but I was aware that I had missed something in missing it. And I wanted this to be my Star Trek, and it was my Star Trek, and it followed me from from where I grew up to the city I moved to you know, years later, and there are a couple of seasons that I dropped there in the middle, but, I mean, this was mine. And, and, and that fan service um, still resonates with me, mm -hmm. because I was with them that whole way. So, which is not to say that it's just fan service. I really do think there are messages in this episode. Uh, let me ask you, sir, what messages did you pull out? Yeah, there's uh, there's a bunch of them. I mean, it, certainly Q tries to give us the message at the end. He comes out and tells Picard, which is telling the audience, like, uh, hey, open up your mind, man. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's cool. Um, but there's the other stuff here, too. Um, you know... I, I go back to this change in Picard. What, what we see here is what we've seen a lot in Star Trek. It, it's that message about the, the the family you create with the friends that you have. Um, and that that's sort of driven home here in this episode. Um, another message, you know, Picard says it outright, prefer to think that the future is unwritten. It's nice. It's a nice, nice message to pass along to, uh, to the audience. Um, the the counter to that, you know, Riker uh, talking about Deanna's death, saying, you think you have all the time in the world, and that kind of trails off. Um, there are moments in that alternate future that, that reveal regrets, things unsaid, actions not taken, um, you know, certainly not a, a, a bad message there for any audience at any time, sort of a, a seize the day sort of message in that um 
similarly, we, we see the characters sort of savor the moments and, and, and keeping the team together that, that poker game lets everybody reflect a bit. And, and it isn't too late to shape the future the way that you want it. That's what Picard learns. And that's why he stops by there. Um, I did want to read something that uh, was from the interview that John Delancey did on the Blu-rays, where he's talking about sort of wrapping up Star Trek in general and his experience on Next Gen. And he said that, you know, to him, part of the beauty of Star Trek was everybody working together, everyone saying, yes, great idea, let's do that. People get together to make things work. Um, he, He paints it as, you know, the antithesis of this idea of we win if you lose, as opposed to what Star Trek is saying, which is we all win if we work together. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of a nice, nice way to hear him sum up uh, his experience and and what he gets out of Star Trek. Um, but honestly, Ken, isn't uh, isn't the message of the trial never ends just about as, as much Star Trek as we will ever hear? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and yet for some reason it doesn't offend me this time as much as it often does. Okay. All right. Because if the trial never ends, then the, then the work never ends either. Well, no, you see, that's a different sort of thing, I think. Oh, okay. I mean, okay. it always seemed like it always seemed like um, uh, Kirk and crew sort of valued the slog simply for the slog. Mm. Like, you had to be working to be doing anything. I mean, whatever. We, we don't have to rehash TOS because we're doing TNG <laughs> right now. There's definitely a B in the now message. Uh, like you mentioned, Riker always thought that he and Deanna would, you know, get together eventually. Mm-hmm. Apparently, Worf, you know, was too concerned about what somebody else might think. Neither of them were actually in the now. And so uh, Troy sadly lost out. And I'm not just making a joke about the fact that she's dead. I mean, she did not have a good relationship, probably, or fulfilled relationship anyway with either of them. Because they were both so worried about the individual things that they were worried about. Um, there's also a think outside the box or, you know, think outside the box idea or message. Not unlike one of my favorite episodes. And this actually comes back to something you had said earlier. Mm-hmm. You said, does Picard need to learn anything? No, because he's awesome. Actually, Picard doesn't need to learn anything because of what he learned in Times Squared. Mm. Right. Wow. That's the one with like yeah. the other Picard, right? right? The other Picard who comes back, who's like limp and nothing and can't even think and is barely, you know, sentient. And the more he wakes up, the more driven by fear he is of not doing something. And then Picard realizes, okay, that thing that I'm most afraid of is the thing I have to do. And that's basically what this boils down to as well. So I wouldn't say Picard doesn't have to learn anything because, you know, he's so awesome. I would say he doesn't have to learn anything because he learned this in season two. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Good point. But, you know, it's not bad to, like, go back and visit it again. Uh, He has to let go of, you know, his ideas of the past, his ideas of the present, and his ideas of the future. He has to be willing to risk and let go of everything to save everything, which is, you know, kind of a – it's an interesting – you know, it's an interesting idea. I know it's one that I have a hard time doing, letting go of things in the past and letting go of, you know, preconceived notions going forward. So I kind of like to hear that, actually, as a a – as a message. At the same time, you shouldn't Picard have to let go of the idea that he's always right. And this is not something that happened in this episode. Hear me out. Hmm, okay. <laughs> in the past, there was a temporal anomaly. Um, further in the past, there was a bigger temporal anomaly. Had he not gone to the Devron system 25 years in the future, had he listened to reason, had he listened to other people, 
uh, he'd have not been there to create the anomaly that almost wiped out humanity. Is he is is his headstrong nature part of what he should actually be finding out is not necessarily the best thing here because mm. he turns every key, pulls every string, pushes every button mm-hmm. to get everybody to the point where he can destroy the universe. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or at least yeah. where he can destroy mankind. It's not really – it turns out that's not really an issue that they address here, but it was kind of interesting to me because the other thing I couldn't figure out is like, well, if we get there now, we can see this thing that's moving backwards in time form. Well – no, because it's moving backwards in time. So even if you get there right when it happens, you just missed it, as they say in Spaceballs. Although maybe it's more, you know, not conical, but maybe it's like two coins, uh, two uh, um, cones meeting at a point. So maybe it's going to expand ever forward now and expand ever backward as well. It just struck me as weird. That yeah. That part of temporal whatever. I, I'm telling you, I got a shot at the chair. I'm just saying. <laughs> Ultimately, though, your thing about the trial never ending and that being very Star Trek, um, that is the exploration that awaits you, not mapping stars and studying nebula, but charting the unknown possibilities of existence. Can I say this is what I love about TOS and TNG? Hmm. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump the timeline as far as we can possibly jump the timeline. Okay. People laud discovery because it shows us at our hardest times. And for that, I can turn on the news. We know what we're like at our hardest times. We've been through war after war after war. And stories that glorify heroism in war still glorify war, right? That's where you really see your medal. That's where you really see who you are. Okay, well, or other times too. How do we treat resources? How do we treat things that we create? How do we treat other people? Not how do we deal with ourselves when we are, you know, dealing with these people. We, we've dealt with ourselves. We, we've gone to war. We keep going to war, right? Mm-hmm. Go back to measure of a man. It's not about how we handle hardship, but how we, how we deal with others, how we, <sighs> how we treat existence. Yes, yes. I mean, the war stories are interesting. The war stories are kind of fun. But what Q is calling people to do is think outside of the things that we always think. Think outside of the conflict. Think outside of A to B to C. At its best, that's what Star Trek is and that's what Star Trek does, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And finally, the card game is fantastic and it's a wonderful shot when they sort of pan up and turn a bit on the table and juxtapose that with the outside of the ship. Yeah. Five-card stud, nothing wild, and the sky's the limit. That's their game. No cheats, a la Kirk, nothing fancy, <laughs> and there is no limit to what they can accomplish. It's, it's a stunning last scene, not just because of their friendship, not just because of their camaraderie, but because when they get rid of all the crap... When they stop fighting and worrying and start working together, there's absolutely no limit to what they can do, which means there's no limit to what we can do. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment, executive producer Rod Roddenberry. Now, we have all kinds of stuff for you to check out at Roddenberry.com, in particular at podcast.roddenberry.com, where you'll find Mission Log, Mission Log Live, Women at Warp, and Priority One Podcast. If you want to help 
support this show. Patreon.com slash Mission Log is the place to do that. For more exciting Star Trek podcasts, check out Trek FM at trek.fm. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit trekmovie.com. Next week, Star Trek Generations. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. I am tired of watching TV. What do you say? Next week, we go to the movies. And transmission.